Well, uh, this morning we're going to start a new collection of talks um, that I'm really excited about, and I hope you will join me in being excited about that. We're going to be speaking about testimony and the concept of testimony, the idea of sharing our story of what God has done in our lives throughout our whole life, but also the testimonies like what God is doing in the midst of our life here and now. I don't know about you, but I believe in a God that doesn't just work once in my life, but works continuously through my life. That's the God we believe in, isn't it? That keeps moving, isn't static, but moves with us through our life and is faithful through the highs and lows, the good moments, the bad moments. God is there with us, and he gives us a testimony to share in and amongst those moments. So we're going to start this, and I'm just going to kind of run through a little bit of of an opening, and then uh, we'll come uh, to our, sto- our, our sermon for this morning, because I'm going to kind of kick this off, so I'm going to do a little bit of an introduction. So like I was saying, this series is going to be about the transformative power of Jesus, the idea that a moment with Jesus changes everything. And we're going to really sit in Luke's gospel, so I don't know if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and grab that in a wee moment. We're going to sit here in Luke's gospel, and we're kind of going to go throughout, and we're going to kind of look at different moments, and it might be a moment of a miracle, a moment of healing, Uh, or a moment of a calming of the storm, and then we're going to look at what testimony these people, or these men, these women, whoever it might be, what testimony they have following that encounter with Jesus. Does that make sense? Are you following me? Just nod your head blindly anyway, just to encourage me. There you go. All right, so we're going to kind of run through this, and we're going to look at this series. If the series had a goal, if the series had a goal of what we're trying to reach, it would be that you might be encouraged, that you might be built up in your faith, but also that that testimony, what God is doing in your life, might ignite from you, that we might become a people that we share testimony every day with whoever we're around, that we declare God's goodness wherever we are, whoever we're around, in whatever space or sphere of life you might find yourself in. Because that's what testimony is, isn't it? Testimony is about declaring the goodness of God. It's about declaring what God has done in your life. It's about bearing witness. That's what it is. Publicly professing, declaring all that God has done in your life. Why? Because it elevates Christ. It lifts the name of Jesus high. That's what testimony does. But you know what else it does? It shames the devil. It says, look how good my God is. Look at where I would have been going. Look at what I would have ended up like. But look at, because of my God, look at where I am now. That's what testimony is all about. And listen, can I just encourage you for a little moment? You might be sitting here and being like, listen, I don't have this crazy testimony. Can I just encourage you right now? You have a story. You have a testimony to tell. Regardless of where you've been in your life, what you've been done, whether you think you've lived a good life, a bad life, or a medium life whatever that is. But you have a story to tell. In fact, would you do this for a moment? Just look at the person next to you, look at them in the eyes, and just tell them right now, you have a story. Go on, out loud, just tell them, encourage them. You have a story. You have a story. So uh, we're going to come to uh, our sermon this morning. Some of you are like, is that not the sermon? But uh, we're going to come to the sermon just in a wee sec. Um, So why don't you grab your Bible? It's going to come up on the screen. We're going to read from Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 5, and we're going to sit in verse 27 uh, or to verse 32. Like I say, it should just come up on the screen there in a wee moment. There we go. Has everyone got it? All right, we're good to go. I'm going to read. It says this. 
Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And I love this right at the end. If you have your paper, Bible, or your phone, this is where you would maybe like do a wee cheeky highlight or something like that. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. Amen. All right. So as we pick up the story in Luke's gospel here fairly early, if you're tracking with the story, Jesus' ministry is just kind of getting kicked off. And he begins to kind of look for disciples. He's already done a few things, and people are starting to know him. Traction are starting to build around his ministry. And he starts to think, I need to get some people around me. So he starts looking for people, people who are going to follow him. And Jesus has an encounter Levi here with Levi, um, who would become Matthew, we believe. Um, a moment which would transform Levi's life. How many of you know just one moment with Jesus can change everything? That's my story. One moment, one night with Jesus changed the whole trajectory of my entire life. I know some of you have that story as well. Levi turns away from his life and work as a tax collector and he begins to follow Jesus immediately. And listen, Jesus calls us to follow him, sometimes away from a lifestyle or a job. Sometimes away from all that we've known in the past, he calls us into a new future. Something I love about this story that I'm not really going to be speaking about, maybe for another time. Just invite, invited myself back there. Maybe another time. I love that this story, Jesus ends up at dinner at Levi's house, that Jesus just goes over for dinner. Simple, really simple. And people are there. You know, there's the tax collectors, sinners are all there, Pharisees, everyone's kind of at this party. And I just love this image of Jesus being at a party, being at a, a little gathering with people that don't just always look like him or sound like him. He's there with anyone and everyone that would come. So listen, I really believe God's going to speak to us this morning through his word. Um, and I'm going to encourage you just one last time to tune in um, to what God might be saying for you this morning. Hey, I don't know uh, if I can just ask you a quick question. Who was like in primary school, who was like really well behaved? Just like put your hand up. If you were like really well behaved in primary school, John Napier, how did I, you were my maths teacher, how did I know you would be well behaved? <laughs> who, now, just be honest, it's not confession. Who was like bad in primary school? Who didn't have like a really good time in primary school? Yeah, a few of you. My hand is up because <laughs> Bobby, yeah, you definitely did. All right, so listen, I uh, had a, a mediocre time in primary school. I was okay, I wasn't, you know, the best, but I also wasn't, you know, the worst. Thank the Lord. So I remember this one specific time, right? I don't know if anyone's here was in the chess club. I'm just, I'm gauging who was in the chess club to know if I can say what I'm going to say or not. No, it's fine. No one, no one plays chess here. Oh, John Napier, of course you play chess. 
All right, so when I was in primary school, they had the chess club set up, and my next door neighbors, the Bembos, they loved to play chess, and I was always jealous because I couldn't play chess, and Matthew tried to teach me so many times, and then it got to the point, you know where you just start lying, like saying you know what you're doing? You just start knowing where the pawns go. Is that what they're called, the pawns? And then you got the knight, you just start pretending you know what they mean, and you just get beat every time, but you're like, oh, it was just a hard luck. Well, they set up a, 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 a chess game, a chess club at school, and I remember really, really wanting to play and really wanting to go along, and I just really wanted to be part of it. And so one day I was there, I was along, and I remember just, I was playing this game of chess and against this like really nerdy person. Do you know what I mean? God love them, but I don't know where they are now. But I was playing against this really nerdy person, and do you know that way, as soon as I sat down, I knew I wasn't going to win. You ever had that? But I'm just like there, I'm sitting down, I'm like thinking, I'm like, you know that way you start to like, I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, you and he's like, they're like, come on, just hurry up and play. And I'm like, give me a minute, you know? And I'm playing chess, and then the next minute, I, it all got out of hand. I won't lie to you. I stood up. I ended up, I didn't mean to, but you know the way you stand up and like everything falls off the table? That kind of happened. And then I don't know why, but I just picked up a knight and I threw it at him, right? And then all I heard was this dreaded voice, the dreaded voice of Miss Carlon, the dreaded vo- the voice of death. She said, Jack Swan, follow me. And you know that way instantly, you know, you didn't need to ask where you were going. You didn't need to ask what was happening in this moment. You just knew you were going to see the head mister, mistress, whatever they were. You were going and you were walking through. And I remember if you went to Craigie Primary School, I don't know if they're still there. I should have went back as a chaplain and seen if they were there. But there was these purple seats. If you go back to my title slide, I think. This is what I've called my sermon this morning. It's called Purple Chairs and Transformation. I remember walking along and following my teacher, Miss Carlon, and she was, you know, you know where you're going. It's not a good moment for you. And, uh, you know, she's, she, basically at the primary, there was like this L shape of purple seats. And when you were sitting on the purple seats, they were really uncomfy. I don't know what they were made of, but they like hurt your bum, do you know that way? So you had to like stand up every now and again. But they really were sore, and at that moment, you knew, you knew what they were doing in the office. You were sitting there, you've heard the voice, follow me, sit on the seats, it's bad, you know what's going to happen. And she's like this, she's like, I'm going to phone your mum. And I'm like, don't worry, she won't answer anyway. <laughs> but they were like, you're going to phone your parents, you know. And there's this whole, and I was thinking about this, Sarah, I was thinking about a story where you're, you've been asked to follow someone, and that's what happens to Levi. He's asked to follow Jesus. But instead of it being like my story where you're told to go follow and sit and they're going to phone your parents and it's bad and it's, you know, you're not going to have a good night, you're going to be grounded. Instead of that, actually what happens in this story, Levi is asked to follow Jesus. And how many of you know when we're asked to follow Jesus, it's not a voice of fear that's called upon, it's a voice of freedom. It's not a voice that says, follow me, Jack Swan. It's a voice that says, follow me and I'll lead you to everything you were meant to be. This is the point where we pick up in the story where Levi is asked to follow Jesus and the Bible says that immediately he left what he was doing and he begins to follow Jesus. He begins to follow Jesus which would transform his life. He goes on to see some amazing, amazing things. He sees people healed, people set free. Jesus in three years turns the world upside down even till now that we might be sitting here. Jesus did this. And Matthew seen it happen. And church, I don't know about you, but this is a gospel message for me. 
We're a gospel church. This is our church's testimony, and we're going to talk about that. We're a gospel-centered people. We're a Jesus-centered people. We talk about Jesus. We, we tell people about Jesus. We follow Jesus. And when Levi is asked to follow Jesus, he's told, you're going to come with me into everything that you were meant to be. And that's the message of the gospel. That when Jesus hung and died on that cross, when his hands were nailed through the wood, he had a you in mind. That's the gospel. That he knew one day you would sit here and he would call your name. Like he did Levi, he would call your name to step out and to follow him. And I'm not even at point one yet, but can I just encourage you, right now, challenge you. Have you heard the voice of Jesus in your life? Have you heard his voice calling you, follow me? Follow me. It's the voice that we all have heard. And I pray that if you haven't, you might hear it this morning. All right, let's jump into my first point here. First point is follow me uh, from, from the little uh, text that we read. When we follow Jesus, uh, or really the question I'm going to ask here is, is when Matthew or Levi decides to get up and follow Jesus, I wonder what he's seen. I wonder why he did it. And then ask the bigger question for us right now. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, when we follow Jesus, it means we're people who have decided unequivocally we're going to go after Jesus. We've left our old life behind. We've let, we started this new life in Christ. That is the meaning of following Jesus. When we try and be Christians, we're going to put our hope in Christ. That's what we do. We're saying we're a new creation. We're focused on where we're going, and we're going with Jesus. We're no longer defined by our sin. We're no longer defined by our sin. We're no longer known by our failure. We're known by our faith in Jesus. We're known under a new name, a new identity, rooted and founded in Jesus Christ. Is that your experience this morning? That's what it means to give testimony about Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Levi made that choice. And every single person in this room has the opportunity to make that decision right now. Are you going to make, make sure you're following Jesus? Following Jesus means to, to strive to be like him. To follow Jesus means to put him in charge, to make him the Lord of your life. Meaning every decision, every dream, every hope, every aspiration is filtered through his word and through the goal of glorifying Jesus in everything we do. That is what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. Now, I'm trying to explain all these things so that you can be thinking right now, does that match my Christian experience? Is that what my testimony is? Have you unequivocally decided to put your hope, faith, and trust in Jesus? Do you filter everything you do in your life around the person of Jesus? Every hope or dream, is it rooted in Jesus? Is it for the goal and sole aspiration of glorifying him. When you follow Jesus, it means you stop following everything else. Woo. When you put your trust and your hope in Jesus, it means you stop following everything else. You stop putting everything into something else. It means you stop following popular culture. It means you stop following lustful or sinful desires. It means you put your hope totally in Jesus. You give up on things that the world says are the right things to do, and you put all your hope in Jesus. You start focusing on the standards that the world has put on us, and we start focusing on the standards that is holiness, that is what Jesus has said of us. 
This is what it means to be a Christian. Does that match your experience? When Jesus called you to follow him, is this ringing true for you? You see, there can be no halfway disciples. The Bible talks loads of times, but specifically about two paths. You'll know this, a wide path. It looks intriguing that most people are on. It looks fun for a while, but it also talks about this narrow path. Because the scriptures go on and says the wide path leads to death and destruction. But the narrow path is difficult, it's hard, but it's where Jesus is. And I don't know about you, I would rather live a harder life right now and end up with Jesus than live a good life right now and end up without him. You see, that moment where Levi has with Jesus, it changes everything. And listen, when we say yes to Jesus, it should change everything. And I want to say this really quickly. It's an ongoing change. It's an ongoing thing. That's why I thought it was really profound what Emma said in her prayer there about us living on our first ever testimony, our first ever moment with Jesus. I thought that was profound. Because my whole thing today, and that's what testimony right now is all about. We're trying to get the church, we're trying to get you, we're trying to get us to think about, okay, I know God did that in my life and that's amazing, but what is he doing now? How do we tune into what God is doing now? How do we tune into what the Holy Spirit is doing in us now, in this moment? Because listen, anyone can argue with scripture, anyone can argue with doctrine, but you know what they can't argue with? Your life. Your story, your testimony of what God has done, no one can look at you and say, that's not true. That can't have happened. Well, they can, but you can say, it's my life. It's my story. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians I want to read. 2 Corinthians 5 verse uh, 21 says this, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, that's you and me, we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel, isn't it? That's the testimony of us as people, as individuals. But it's the testimony of the church that he knew, who knew no sin took all of our sin off of us, all of our guilt, all of our shame. And he hung on that cross and he put it to death. That's why we can say confidently, we have a story. We are no longer defined by our sin. We're no longer defined by the evil that was in us. We are defined by Jesus. Amen. We're defined by his love, his truth, his grace, his joy. His spirit is in us. That's our story as people. Everything I've said, does it match your experience as a Christian? And I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm saying that to give you a moment to go, maybe not. Maybe I need to pray again. Maybe I need to go back to God. And I want to tell you, Jesus stands open-armed, calling you home. Not to the purple chairs of death, but to life and life in its fullness. All right, point two picture of the church. I wonder before you were a Christian, if you could paint your mind back or if you're not a Christian yet, would you picture for a moment what you thought the church was like before you started coming? 
Just picture in your mind right now what, what was kind of the idea that you had of church before you started coming. Can I tell you this? I uh, know a lot of non-Christians. And uh, when I was a youth worker, a youth pastor, I used to go into a lot of schools. And can I tell you this? Regardless if people have been in a church before, they have a picture in their mind of what church is like. Isn't that funny? That they have a, an idea, in fact, a clear idea of what church is like uh, before they've even stepped in a church. And I'll just tell you right now what it is, if you don't know. They think churches are uh, wet and cold, probably a bit of mold on the walls somewhere, Right? That's what they think. They also think there's usually one person at the front that stands up there the whole time in like some crazy gown, all right? And they think that they say a lot of big words um, and, and that no one really knows what they mean. That's what they think. And they also think there's a lot of people in church, or maybe not a lot of people, but there is people, some people, but all these people think they're amazing, do everything for themselves, and don't really like if anyone else comes. If you're a young person or you know anyone that isn't a Christian, is that a fairly accurate anything to add? I'm just kidding. But I'll tell you this, what I'm trying to uh, explain to you there is the picture of church isn't always a good one. It's not always a healthy one. I wonder why that is. I wonder why they have this conception of church. Because I always used to say to them, listen, if you just come one week, just come one weekend, you might not like it, but that experience, what you've just described, will not be the truth. Because come on church, that shouldn't be what people think, is it? And can I just challenge you for a moment? I think people still think it. Because we haven't found our voice yet. We haven't quite yet found our voice. We still think it's a bit awkward to talk about Jesus or talk about church. When, do you know what? I just get the sense that people think, if you can't talk about it confidently, why would I come? If you can't talk about it in a good way, how many of us complain about church? How many of us say bad things about church? They didn't like Jack's shirt. He spoke for too long. Whatever it is, how many of us don't speak about it in a confident way so people go, why would I go? Because I think we have a responsibility and a role to paint a better picture of church. I am convinced, and I believe we can do it. So let's read that wee bit of scripture again. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to the set complained to the disciples, and they asked this question, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not uh, the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I thought at that moment, Jesus gives us a, a picture of the church. Did you catch that in the scripture that Jesus should not have been in this place? The religious leaders did not think this was a place that a holy man, Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher, this is not where he belonged. So they asked the question, why are you here? And the way they ask is, why is he here eating at this party, hanging out, eating, drinking with tax collectors and sinners? You see, tax collectors, you will know this, I'm sure. Tax collectors were some of the worst of the worst in society. They were hated because they were basically stealing from their own people for their own prophet. They were hated people, hated people. But then he also goes further and says, tax collectors and sinners. Basically what they're saying is people that are not like them. People that are not living to a standard. People that look weird or smell weird or have things going on, troubles in their life. How many of us, when we read that scripture, we go, I'm not the sinner. <laughs> I bet you didn't. I didn't. And then I'm like, okay, where do I fit in this story? And I'm going, I'm the sinner in the story. I want to eat with Jesus. Why are we not allowed to eat with Jesus? 
The picture of the church that we should be painting is it's a place that is open for anyone, isn't it? The picture of the church we want to paint is like Jesus going over to eat. It doesn't matter who's there, who's coming, where they've been, what they look like, what they smell like, what things you think they might have been doing. It's about Jesus in that moment, isn't it? It's about anyone can come through those doors. Anyone. doesn't matter where they've been. They have a place here. They belong here. It's not about the clothes you wear, not about how smart you look, how much Bible you can rhetoric. It's all nothing about that. It's about Jesus and his love. And Jesus loves every single one of you. Do you know that? He loves you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. Even if you don't quite love him fully yet, he loves you and he went all out for you. And now it's our responsibility to paint the picture of the church that does that for them, for us. For anyone that might come through, let's go. Sorry, I'm a bit rusty. I just get excited. Jesus teaches us something extremely profound here. You see, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were good examples of those who were trying to obey God in their own strength. And listen, their self-effort and arrogance only led to complete distortion of the whole purpose of God in the world. Let that never be our story, church. Let that never be our testimony, that we would become so big-headed that no one can come in. Instead of building God's kingdom, bringing bringing glory to God in the world, the Pharisees built their own kingdom, bringing glory only to themselves. Church, that cannot be who we are. We are to be like Jesus, the friend of sinners. That's our story. That's who we are. That this church would be a place and a space. We'd be a people that fling the doors open. That people can come and find hope, find love, find truth. Why? Because that's our experience. That's our testimony. That's the type of church I want to be part of. And I know for sure that's the type of church we are trying to build here. Where that that picture I painted of a bad church, an ugly church, whatever that is, that is not the story of our church. That's not the picture we're painting. That's not the testimony we're going to give. Matthew's testimony, Levi's testimony, was a moment with Jesus changed his entire life. Is that your story? We're going to be thinking about this over the next seven weeks, thinking about what testimony we have as individuals, but then further to that, what is our story as the body of Christ, generally, but then here in Perth? What picture of the church are we trying to paint? And then more to that, what is our part to play? Because I believe our part, we know Jesus builds the, the church, don't we? But I don't know about you, but I get the sense that he's going to use us to do it. We're going to pray right now, and then we're going to move on to do something different. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for who you are. And Lord, I pray right now, in this moment, you would challenge us. Take us deeper into you, God. Give us a heart. Give us a story, God. Ignite in us our testimony of what you're doing right now. And Lord, I do get the sense that there's people in here that need a fresh revelation, a fresh touch from you. Church, if that's you, I'll just give you a wee moment right now, just in the quiet. 
just to ask God to speak to you right now, to give, to ask for whatever it is you need him to give you, whether it's hope, whether it's some joy, whether it's some faith or grace. God, I pray right now you would minister to us. Thank you, you are faithful to us. Thank you that you have called us by name to follow you. And I pray, God, that as we begin to follow you, maybe even for the first time today, God, we begin that journey of following you. Help us to get the paintbrushes out and start painting a beautiful picture of your kingdom, a beautiful picture of the church. It's a place of love, of hope, where all are welcome. Tax collector, sinner, whatever, you are welcome in this place. This place is for you just as much as it's for me. For all these things, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we're going to uh, now move on, which is kind of a fun, unique part of our service uh, today and for the next few weeks, seven to be exact. We're going to have some other people come and share uh, a bit of their testimony, just again to really build them up, but to get us thinking about what God is doing in and amongst us, because we're a family, aren't we? And when God does, someone, does something in someone else, we want to clap, we want to cheer, we want to encourage, we want to champion that person and say, I see what God's doing in you, and I'm going to build you up. So I'm going to invite Kate up, and you're going to welcome her, give her a big round of applause, a big clap. You're going to use this one here. You can put your phone here for a sec, yeah, and just get, get yourself ready. So this is Kate. She's a bit nervous. Give her another clap. Well done. Well done. I think so. Is it on? Hello? Okay, I'd say you could use this one, but that's not going to work. Give me two secs. All right. I think it's going to come on. Hey. Right, here you go. So you can just come up here. And uh, like I say, we're just going to really encourage, we're going to listen, you have a bit of a story to tell. Yeah. All right, so I'm just going to hand over to you. Hi, um, hi everyone. I'm Kate, um, I'm 16, and me and my family have been coming to Trinity since 2019, um, like October time, I think it was, and um, Arwen and me joined youth on Zoom, actually, in March 2020, so yeah. Um, my parents are both Christians, and from Christian families, like their parents were Christians. Um, and I guess I was raised Christian, but I didn't grow up in like a specific church. Um, I didn't really know what being a Christian meant specifically. Like I thought you just had to believe in God to be a Christian, that you just had to um, say your prayer at night to be a Christian, just like do the regular run in the mill things, like be a Sunday Christian. And I just kind of wasn't living my life for God. I wasn't doing anything for him. I wasn't living for him. I used to live a in a place called Kurluk, which is near Lanark. So it's like an hour away from here. And we moved here when I was in primary four, I think. So I was nine. Um, I think the move had like a larger effect on me than I'd realized. And I think it kind of knocked my confidence a bit because um, I'd always been like a confident girl when I was younger. And then I became like shy over time and kind of reserved because I went from a class of like 11 boys and me being one of six girls, like 17 people, to like then three classes in a primary school of like 30 in each class. So it was kind of a shock, I think, to a nine-year-old girl. Um, I'd been given a Bible, like a little kid's Bible, when we left the church that we'd been going to for a little while and where we used to live. 
Um, and at one point in this particular Bible that I've been given, there was a page that said, let Jesus into your heart. Looking back on that, I remember reading that and thinking, I'm not ready for that. I'm going to leave that alone. I'll figure that out later. That doesn't matter for my life right now. I was kind of very self-reliant or I'd rely on my family. I wouldn't want to rely on someone I didn't know. Um, my whole life, I was kind of pursuing people's approval, success, and I wanted to be an actress for a long time. Um, I went to lots of stage schools that I had audition to get into, and I worked really hard to do that, like lots of lessons, lots of different things I had to do for that. And it looked like to everyone that was what it was going to go down, like all my family would always ask, oh, you can do this. But then I just like, I kept doing that for a long time. And despite other people's opinions, I kind of was set on that and I wouldn't let anyone sway me on it. But um, in 2019, so three years ago now, which is crazy, I was 13, um, I started to feel really unwell. Um, I'd always had stomach issues because I was lactose intolerant when I was a baby, and now I'm again. So we thought, my family thought it was that that was causing it. So I went to get a blood test at the doctor, and they found that my pancreas was inflamed, so I had to go to Nine Wells Hospital in Dundee. And my parents had to keep me off school for a long time because I was in a lot of pain and back and forth to Dundee for tests. Um, the inflamed pancreas, when we got to the hospital after a long time, um, they found that actually it wasn't inflamed anymore because they couldn't figure out what was going on. And then they found I lost four kilograms in two weeks. They kept doing tests, but they hadn't found anything. So we were just really confused what was going on, like why is she still in pain? Um, my parents had been worried about me for some time because I'd been losing weight and I'd been exercising obsessively, not eating barely anything. And I ate like under a thousand calories a day, which is not enough to survive on. Like looking back, I'm like, what were you doing? <laughs> um, you don't really think about that when you're in the headspace and when you're younger. Um, I thought I was doing fine. I didn't see an issue with what I was doing, but they did an ECG, so like a heart scan on me. And um, I remember getting cables attached to my chest and they took my heart rate and found it was only being 40 beats per minute. And this worried my family a lot. And I didn't see an issue again, as I was not thinking straight, choosing to be really unwell and underweight. Um, we spoke to the stomach doctor, who was like the head of the stomach at Dundee. And then she told us that I was underweight and that she'd seen this a lot before and that I had an eating disorder. I was sent to a specialist at CAMS every week, so it's like the child adolescent mental health service. Um, they diagnosed me with anorexia. This was a shock to me, but not to my parents. They also diagnosed me with anxiety because I've, I've been an anxious person my entire life. Because um, I always worried about things small and big. And if I don't have something to worry about, then I usually worry about that. <laughs> um, I had to go to this place every week to speak to these people that I did not want to speak to and get my blood taken and blood pressure and sitting and standing and my height and my weight every week. Um, and when I stood up, my blood pressure would rise, which meant my heart was working too hard. And my parents were both put in charge of what I could eat, so I didn't really have any control over everything. And I was kept off school because I was so unwell, so I lost all the control that I'd been clinging to in my whole life. And I got really angry at my family, and I kind of like isolated myself from them. I didn't understand why this was happening to me. And I took it out on them a lot, and it wasn't fair to them because they were just scared for me and wanted to help. 
Um, around this point, before we came to Trinity one morning, I had an urge to read the Bible, which is, was an odd thought for me back then. Um, I'd never had this before. I'd always looked of the Bible as something that I didn't need to read. I just thought you had to believe in God and the Bible was just some old book that's kind of tells you what it's about, but it's not really necessary. And it was the Bible that I'm given at this church that we were going to before. And I'd never really touched it. And this day I had an urge to read Revelation of all books. <laughs> um, I'd said to my mum to read Revelation with me and we studied it all day. And I felt a burning fire to really read the Bible and to know more about God and what this meant for my life. And my mum mentioned something about letting God into your heart to be a Christian. I didn't remember this. I thought, I think I was told it when I was younger, but I didn't remember it, like it hadn't stayed with me. And then I remembered the page that said, let Jesus into your heart. And when my mom told me this, I was like, well, I have to give my life to God to be a Christian. And I was really shocked. And then I wanted to give my life to God. I wanted to live for him. I wanted to put my hope in something. Mm. I was in my Bible. I got the Bible app. And I felt happy for the first time in a while. And once I'd felt like a prisoner, I now had some hope. But I was still clinging to my control even after living, giving my life to God, though. There was a chance that I could have died from the eating disorder. If my heart had fallen below 40 beats per minute, I would have been admit admitted to the eating disorder unit, which is basically where they, they were about to give me a tour of it. That's like they were using that like as a, a motivational thing, like, we're going to take you in for a tour if you don't get better. So... It's not a place anyone would like to go, really. Um, and it's really like they watch you around the clock um, and you can't see your family for months on end. I did not want to go there. I was set on it. Nope. So I was like, but I still wanted to have control over what I could eat and what I did. But I couldn't because I wasn't mentally well enough to be able to make that decision. But over time, my mom and dad noticed that um, God was working in me and I gradually got better. I'm weight restored now, so I'm much better than I was, and I'm no longer in fear of death, but I really want to live my life for God now, and because he brought me out of that situation, and I know that if I hadn't, if I'd stayed in that, I would have been so much worse. I was off school because I was unwell, because they said that even walking around school would be too much for me. I had to stay home all the time, and I couldn't actually move. I wasn't allowed to like move anywhere, because they had to make sure I wasn't losing too much weight. When I was at school, I was always anxious because of the anxiety, and I could never truly settle, and I just felt on edge all the time. And I was very stressed, which probably made me have the eating disorder. And it probably drove me to be obsessive in my thinking and eat around eating and exercising. And I believe that drove me to being ill. Um, and as a little girl, I would obsess over things. And when I become older, the OCD became worse until it started to drive the anorexia and anxiety, making it impossible to not calorie count or do a certain amount of exercise, and it was like my way of coping with life because I didn't know what else to do. Um, OCD still affects me. I feel like people don't really talk about it. It's not really like when you just clean up. Like you, lots of people just struggle with it. And it's a really common thing, and you just have like lots of unwanted thoughts that come in your mind. I have to constantly release them to God. It's like the thorn in my flesh, I call it. Um, and the thought of school was just too overwhelming because my anxiety was crippling me. I was actually for a long time, I haven't told anyone this, I don't think, I was terrified to leave home, actually, during this time. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually walk in front of the windows of my house. I would, like, close the curtains so I wouldn't let anyone near me. But now I'm released from that, I don't do that anymore. But I don't go to school in person now because I've been doing online school for a while because I find it easier to online work. 
Um, and for a while I was saying that I was homeschooled, but I really just didn't have education in place. And I was really worried about that at the time. That was something that was, uh, was really freaking me out. But last year I got a placement at this new online school called eSchool, which is basically online education for those who cannot access education in person. And it hadn't actually opened up for me until we'd prayed to God about it. And then we prayed about it, and it opened up for me, and now I'm doing that. Um, last thing. Now I've had some lots of big God moments in my life, some bigger than others. I've had one massive one where I heard God's voice audibly. Um, I was listening to a Christian meditation app called Abide, and I was really upset, and I was kind of crying about feeling empty and really ready to walk away from my faith, which doesn't really make sense, but <laughs> that's what I was feeling at the time. Um, I called on God and asked him to speak to me, either audibly in thought or stir my spirit. I called God saying, if you're with me, if you're true, speak to me. The scripture they were reading was, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known, which is 1 Corinthians 13, 12. It's about God knowing us completely. And the person on the meditation was still talking, um, but I couldn't hear what they were saying anymore because it was almost like my attention was being drew somewhere else. And I think I paused it at this point and I heard a faint silent whisper say, I am with you. And I thought, I'm hearing voices, I'm going insane. <laughs> and I heard it again, I am with you. And a silent but almost loud whisper, like it's very silent, but you can hear it really clearly in your mind. And they repeated the verse again. It was like moving around and taking over all of me. And it wasn't a bodily voice. I couldn't place what it was exactly. Um, I listened to, to the Bible meditation the next day to see if it actually was God. But I didn't hear the voice that time. That's how I knew that it was God. And I couldn't deny God anymore. I couldn't walk away from him. And I couldn't doubt it anymore. And that's how my story is similar to the one of Levi. Because if I had kept doing what I was doing, I would have walked in a way, probably could pursued success continually, and that would probably eventually lead me to die. I probably wouldn't be standing here today if God hadn't stepped in when he did. So that's how my story is similar. Well done. Well done. Is that not just a, a beautiful testimony of what God has been doing and through his transformational power in Kate? Is that not so wonderful? Thank you very much. Take your seat.